Good morning, church. My name, I'm Pastor Kumskusofa. I'm happy to be with you in this service. We are going to read our scripture from the book of Philippians, chapter 4, verse 9. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice those things, and the God of peace shall be with you. Amen. God bless you. Pastor Chris, thank you for doing our scripture reading. Uh, we want to remember Pastor Chris in prayer. I got an email from him this morning that he was rushed to the emergency room and with high blood pressure and some heart problems. So let's remember Pastor Chris and our other loved ones as we pray this morning or where you are, it might be evening or afternoon. Would you pray with me? Lord, we are mindful that every breath we take is a gift from you. Every day you give us is the present because it's a present from you and we say thank you and Lord we come to you on behalf of those we love who are going through difficult times right now we think of those who are battling some type of physical ailment we think of our brother pastor Chris and pray that you touch him with a healing touch of his heart and his high blood pressure Lord May you continue to bless his ministry in Uganda as we partner with him, as he ministers to hundreds, even thousands of people who are going through difficult times, Lord, because of COVID-19. Lord, we pray for loved ones that we know about that have COVID-19, the virus, who are battling an illness. We pray, Lord, that you would bring health to them and keep them from having severe symptoms or problems due to this virus. May you continue to protect us, Lord, and may you continue to bless us during this challenging time. Lord, we have other loved ones that are battling cancer and other ailments, and things are exacerbated by the situation here with COVID and medical care and the difficulty and challenges, Lord. And we just pray for our loved ones who are recovering from surgeries, who are dealing with chemotherapy, who are dealing with cancer, who are dealing with other illnesses, Lord, at this time. We pray that they might know your blessing and your healing. Lord, we pray for those in our midst who are dealing with loneliness, depression, anxiety, with people who are dealing with loss. We ask you to minister to them and use us to minister to them where we can. Lord, for those who are struggling financially, who have lost jobs, who are unable to work, who are concerned about the next meal, Lord, we cry out to you for them. We ask you, Lord, to minister to them, to provide for them, to take care of them. Lord, where we can be a help, show us what we can do to come to their aid. Lord, we thank you that you have given us yourself as the greatest gift. And we pray that during this time of trial for the whole world, that people would turn to Jesus Christ by the hundreds, by the thousands, that they might be healed eternally through Jesus and live with him forever. 
Lord, as we look into your word now, we humbly ask for the Holy Spirit to speak, and I humbly ask for the Holy Spirit to speak through me words that will benefit us for eternity. And we ask all these things in the beautiful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. The oldest existing literature in the Western world was written about 8th century B.C., 800 years before the Lord Jesus Christ was, was born. And it was written, this ancient literature, in Greek, of course. And it consists of two epic poems allegedly written by a blind poet by the name of Omeros, or we know him as Homer. And these two epic poems, the first one is called the Iliad, and the second one is called the Odyssey. And the Iliad is set during the Trojan War and describes the 10-year siege on the city of Troy. The Odyssey focuses on the 10-year journey home for Odysseus, who was the king of Ithaca after the fall of Troy, after the war was over. And Odysseus, who's also known as Ulysses in the Roman version, the Latin version of the poem, spent 10 years trying to get home after the war. But before he even left for the war, 20 years earlier, he had an infant son by the name of Telemachus. And this is not to be confused with the same Telemachus that I mentioned a few sermons ago, who was a Greek monk. Same name, different person. And this infant child, Telemachus, was put in the care by Odysseus into the care of a man by the name of Mentor. And Mentor was an older, wiser man who would be raising this young man, who would be instructing him and guiding him through life. And his name was, as I mentioned, Mentor. And we get our English word mentor or mentor from the name of this man. And we use it to describe someone who is an experienced and trusted advisor. You see, every one of us needs a mentor. And every one of us is a mentor to someone else. In every period of our life, from childhood to adulthood, we're all benefited by having someone who has greater knowledge, greater experience than us, that we can learn from them. We can learn from their mistakes as well as their successes. And we need people in our lives to teach us, and we need to be ones who are willing to teach others what we have learned and what we have experienced. Today, as we continue in our series, Letters from Quarantine, we come to the very next verse, chapter 4, verse 9 of the book of Philippians, if you'd like to turn there. In Philippians 4, 9, the Apostle Paul clearly describes himself as a mentor to the Christians in Philippi. And the Apostle Paul writes, the things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And the God of peace shall be with you. Last week we studied verse 8, the verse before this. And we saw that the Apostle Paul was teaching his readers how to think. He instructed us to think positively and beautifully. To think truthfully and virtuously. To think lovingly and morally. And now as we come to the next verse, verse 9... 
We're being taught how to act. How to act. Verse 9, instruction on how to, ver, to act. And verse 8, instruction how to think. And the result of following the Apostle Paul's advice on how to think and how to act, he says, will be, to quote the Apostle Paul himself in verse 9, the peace of God shall be with you. And in verse 8, when he taught us how to think, he said, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds. So as we look at these verses, we come up with a principle, and online you can download the outline of the sermon, and principle number one is this. If you are not experiencing God's peace, then you, not God, are doing something wrong. A lot of times when people aren't at peace, they blame God. And we're being taught here that it's not God that's doing something wrong, it's, it's us. If you're not experiencing God's peace, then you, not God, are doing something wrong. Now, this is maybe a harsh and bold way to state it, but sometimes we have to hear the unvarnished truth for it to sink home to get our attention. Peace is a re- result of thinking right and doing right. And it is a gift from God. When I was a boy, I was afraid of Smokey the Bear. Most Americans would know Smokey the Bear as an iconic symbol of fire, forest fire prevention. And he used to say, only you can prevent forest fires. Smokey the Bear was named after a real-life bear. There was a huge wildfire in New Mexico, and the little cub of a bear was orphaned. And he was discovered after the wildfire, clinging, scared, to the top of a charred tree. And this little bear, his paws were burned, his legs were burned, he was rescued by the firefighters who had put out the fire. And so they named him Smokey Bear. We put in the there, but that's not really his middle name. His name is Smokey Bear. And they put him in the National Zoo in Washington, D.C. And he became so popular, and he received so much fan mail, that they had to actually give him his own zip code for Smokey Bear. He remained there until his death in 1976, and then his body was returned to the Smoky Bear Historical Park in Capitan, New Mexico, where he was buried, but where he continues to be a wildfire prevention legend. Now, the reason I was afraid of Smokey the Bear as a boy was because one day my sister Tally, who was 17 years old at the time, caught me with matches. And I was only seven years old at the time. She was ten years older. And I'd been playing with matches, and I'd lit the little forest behind our house on fire. Now, fortunately, while it was burning, I was able to stomp it out, and I didn't catch the whole forest on fire, but I could have. And Tally threatened to tell my parents what I had done, because they weren't home at the time. And so I was just waiting for my parents to come home, and they came home, and she didn't say anything. And the next day, I was waiting for her to tell my parents, and she didn't say anything. 
And I waited and I waited, and then my dad, who was in the Navy, got orders, and our family moved from the East Coast of the United States, Rhode Island, to the West Coast, California, and we drove over 3,000 miles, visiting every national park along the way, camping in the national parks, going through national forests, and at every national park and every forest when we entered, there was a big sign a picture of Smokey the Bear saying only you, and he has pointed right at me, can prevent forest fires. And every time we passed that sign, I was sure Tally was going to tell my parents about the fire I started, and I was going to be in trouble. So my little heart was not at peace because I had done something wrong. It robbed me of my peace. Well, Tally never told my parents. I never told my parents. You better not ever tell my parents. <laughs> but now that I've told you, I can finally be at peace. Lack of peace in our hearts is a result of doing the wrong thing, or thinking the wrong thing, or both, thinking wrong and doing wrong. And if you're not experiencing God's peace, then you, not God, are doing something wrong. Now, I'd like to put this in a more acceptable format. So we have principle 1.2, kind of an upgrade of principle 1. Same principle, different wording. Principle 1.2, practice thinking right and acting right in order to feel right. If you want to feel right, you need to think right and you need to act right. And we saw in verses 6 to 8 how to think right, that we turn our worries into prayers. Now, it's natural to have anxiety, it's natural to have worries, but when you have them, turn them over to the Lord in prayer. Don't hang on to them. And we're also told to think right. We need to be thinking beautiful thoughts, not spiteful and ugly ones. And here in verse 9, we are now told how to act right. And the way to act right is just to do what the Apostle Paul would do. <laughs> the Apostle Paul says he wants to be our mentor. He wants to be our example. He says in verse 9, the things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, the Apostle Paul, practice these things. Because everyone needs a mentor. Everyone needs to have someone who can show them how to do things well and do them correctly and do them morally and rightly. My 17-year-old sister Tally was a mentor to me. And because of her, she helped keep me from becoming an arsonist and burning down more force. I don't know if you noticed, but the Apostle Paul mentions four aspects of his mentoring process. Did you see them? He says, learned and received, heard and seen. And the Greek construction allows us to understand this as two sets of pairs. So it could be translated this way, things both learned and received, that's one pair, also heard and seen is the second pair. Something can be learned without being received. For example, a person can learn that Jesus Christ died for their sins. 
But until they receive Jesus, until they ask him to come into their life, they're not saved. They're not born again. They don't have eternal life. They know about Jesus, but they haven't received him. Or to take another example, a parent can tell a child, the stove is hot, don't touch it. They've learned the stone is hot, the stove is hot. But then they touch it and go, ah, it's hot. Now they've received the truth. (laughs) They know it's hot. A child may learn what it means to be an obedient child because their parent says, don't do this and do this. But they're not really an an obedient child until they receive the truth and then act on it. And that's why the Apostle Paul says to his readers, practice these things. Don't just know them, do them. And that word practice, the Greek word praso, isn't just do, it's practice, it's do it over and over again. It should be a habit, it should be something that becomes part of your character because you repeat it over and over again. The problem the Apostle Paul foresaw, and the problem with most, of, if not all, Christians is that we know far more than we do. Hearing the truth in a sermon is the starting point It's not the finish point. When the sermon is over, the pastor's work is done, but the listener's work has just begun. You have to practice what you've learned and received. Which brings us to principle number two. Our second principle, truth learned must become truth received, followed by truth practiced. It must be learned, you hear it, but then you must receive it. You must accept it and believe it and make it your own. And then you must do it, you must practice it over and over again. If you're watching online, that means when you turn off the computer, your work has started, it hasn't ended. That's when you start practicing what you've just heard. Last week, I... Snuck into this empty sanctuary, nobody was here, and I played the piano. And if you're thinking, well, I didn't know Pastor Perry could play the piano, you'd be right, I I can't, but the piano tuner had just come, and I came in to turn off the lights, and I saw the piano sitting there all by itself, kind of lonely, and so I sat down to play the piano. And I can play one song pretty well that I learned when I was 12 years old. I can't read notes anymore. I can't play any other song. If I start this song and stop, I have to go back to the beginning to start again. If I look at the keys, I can't really play it. I play it from muscle memory because I practiced it over and over and over again throughout my life that I can still play that song. It's become part of me. And Paul says, the things you've learned and received You need to practice so they become part of who you are. They become automatic. See, God isn't looking for theologically smart Christians. He's looking for obedient Christians, Christ-like Christians. And the Apostle Paul was both. In fact, the Apostle Paul had become so obedient to the ways of Jesus Christ that he could honestly and humbly state, 
that people could follow him, and by following him, they'd be following Jesus Christ. Everyone needs a mentor, and everyone is a mentor. So we come to principle number three. Follow the right people, so people who want to do right can follow you. Follow the right people as your mentor, so that people who need a mentor can follow you. Because you're doing the right thing. Follow the right people so people who want to do right can follow you. Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 11.1 1, puts it this way. Be imitators of me just as I also am of Christ Jesus. That's not arrogance. That's humility. And the greater your humility, the greater will be your obedience to Jesus Christ and the better mentor you will be and role model to other people. Parents, adults, during this season of the COVID-19 pandemic, our children are watching us. And they're learning from us. And they're learning how we handle trial, how we handle loss, how we handle sickness, how we handle confusion, how we handle dealing with our government and our attitudes, how we deal with not being able to come to church, how we deal with our worship now and how we deal with our study, how we deal with church on a screen, how sacred we think it is or how sacred we don't think it is. They're watching us. They're learning. Let's make sure that the children watching us as adults are learning how to be like Jesus. I close with a helpful description of what a mentor might look like that I found online, and I thought it was was pretty good. I want to share it with you. Three things. A mentor is a consultant. That's someone who imparts wisdom to you. When you're not sure what to do, you consult them, and they offer you a bit of advice. They're also a counselor, someone who gives you guidance. You're saying, well, should I take this job or marry this person or go here or do that? They offer you guidance in your life. And I like this third one. A mentor is also a cheerleader, someone who offers encouragement. A mentor doesn't just always tell you you're doing badly or doing it wrong or do it this way. A mentor says, great job, good job. I'm so proud of you. You did well. I'm confident in you that you're going to succeed. They offer encouragement. And all of us needs a person like this in our lives, but all of us should be this person to someone else. To whom will you be a mentor? And one kind of mentor will you be? Would you pray with me? Lord, we pray that you would help us to live lives that honor the Lord Jesus Christ, that lead people to Jesus Christ, that show people what Jesus Christ is like. Fill us with your spirit that we might do that and do it well. As you're still listening, I want to ask you, have you invited Jesus Christ? Have you received him into your life as Savior? You've learned that he died for you, for your sins. You've learned that he was buried and rose again from the dead and he conquered death. You've learned that he offers eternal life 
in heaven in a perfect place for all who receive him. You know that, but have you received him? If you've never invited him into your life, he hasn't come in. But if you'd like to, call out to him and say, Lord Jesus, save me. I want to receive you into my life. I want my sins forgiven. I want to receive the gift of eternal life. And I say, thank you, Jesus. Lord, thank you that you've already given us the greatest gift, the gift of eternal life. We love you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Be well, be safe, and be blessed.